Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. I do believe, Lord, that you have given me a word for this body of believers. But unfortunately, Lord, this message was for me first. And I'm a slow learner. And I don't know if I can get through it today. You know my heart. You know the hearts of everyone here today. <clears throat> Father, may we all be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and what he will do in this room. But most importantly, once we leave this building, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We've got a video we're going to start out with. Have a seat, and this will lighten the mood a little bit and maybe help me calm down a little bit. Watch this. Got very good arms. He didn't fall? Inconceivable. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Got very good arms. He didn't fall? Inconceivable. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Can anyone today say the word inconceivable without summoning the spirit of Vicini, inconceivable. I don't think we can. I don't think anyone even uses that word anymore because of this movie. But my favorite part of that clip isn't inconceivable. It's what Inigo Montoya says when he challenges Vicini and he says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I don't think it means what you think it means. I believe 100% I have been asked to speak on grace today and God's love. However, the reason I feel led to speak on grace and love today is because we use those terms a lot, God's grace and God's love, but I don't think we know what they mean exactly. Because there is so much more to God's grace and his love than the way we sometimes use it and the way we sometimes want to receive it. I would like for you to open your Bibles. This scripture is not going to be on the screen, but I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in, in verse 18. I would like you to read the entire chapter. Um, and I hate saying this, I really do, but I, I did I did. Take, I, didn't, I, I decided to focus on these verses because, for the sake of time, because I think if I read the whole chapter, I would want to explain the whole chapter, and my sermon would be as long as a CVS receipt. And so I, I want to focus on verses 18 through 21 because they really say kind of it's, 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 it's the summation of that entire chapter. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, 
so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grace will always rise higher than sin. No matter how high sin seems to climb and how much ground sin seems to claim in your life or the life of a child, a wayward child, or, or someone that you know at work, no matter how great sin is in a person's life, God's grace will always be greater. For whoever sins much will be forgiven much. Paul says we don't receive more grace by being good people. We don't receive grace by being here this morning. We don't receive grace by reading his word. Now, there's aspects to grace that we receive. We may receive a blessing. We may receive some insight, some inspiration. But this grace that Paul's talking about here, I mean, he's, he's contrasting words like trespass, condemnation, to words like righteous and justification. Death contrasted to life. So there's a lot more going on here than, than, than just... Um, feeling kind of warm and fuzzy when we talk about grace and love. There is no limit to God's grace. There's no limit to God's love. Throughout this message, I'm probably going to be using grace and love completely interchangeably. And that's intentional. I believe they're on the same page. I believe that they are meaning the same thing. And so I'll use them interchangeably, but I'll focus on one and or the other at, at different times as well. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19... Paul prays that we may have the ability. Paul has prayed for us that we may have the ability to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The wisest of the wise, whether heathen or holy, cannot grasp God's love. We can't grasp it. We can sing about it, and we can sing about amazing grace. But Paul is saying, look, no matter, keep trying and keep striving to understand, but we won't fully comprehend God's grace, his love. It's unfathomable. And so my question is, and again, this begins with myself, and I'm going to point that out here in a minute with an example. Why are we so tight-lipped about God's grace when it comes to other people? Why are we so, so, so disconnected from what we experience here on a Sunday morning when we log into Facebook or Twitter and, and, and stuff like that? Why do we all of a sudden begin to forget to show God's love and grace in those settings? Why, why is it so difficult for us to show grace at Walmart, which just happened to me this last week? Why is it so difficult to show grace at Walmart to the cashiers making a little bit more than minimum wage, maybe, and upset that they won't open up more lines, and so we're all bottlenecked together, and so we get mad at these people, and they have no say-so in it. I did self-checkout for the first time. I am again it. I really am. <laughs> so my daughter was with me. She said, here, Dad, I'll do it for you so you don't have to. So technically, I didn't. But boy, it sure was convenient and fast. <laughs> as long as you have someone there to do it for you. <laughs> I'm getting old enough in my life, my beard's getting enough gray hairs, that I'm beginning to believe that the American Christian is wading through a faith that's just simply ankle deep. It's, 
myself included, okay? <laughs> we talk about God's love. We sing about it. We do our devotionals on our Bible app about God's love and his grace. But I don't know if we truly understand what it means and how it's lived out in our life. I'm going to read about a page and a half from an author named Wendell Berry. He's an agrarian. He's 84, 85 years old, down in Kentucky. He's lived in the same county in the same uh, area his entire life, with the exception of a short span in New York to become a writer. He's a poet. He's an author. And he is a, an amazing inspiration to me and, and, and thousands of others. It's from the book, That Distant Land, in the chapter 4 called Pray Without Ceasing. I want to give you a little background so you can understand where we are in this, in this chapter. A man by the name of Thad Coulter, who was at, his, was at the end of his rope financially with their home, and this is back in the, the late 1800s, early 1900 time span. And so he's down there in southern and in, in eastern Kentucky, and he's at the end of his rope financially. He's desperate. He's a desperate man. And he did what most desperate, what many desperate men do. He turned to the bottle. And when he turned to the bottle, he became drunk. And he went to his best friend, Ben Feltner, who was a, who was a little bit more well-to-do there in the town of Port Williams. And he went to him begging him for a loan. And he realized, Ben Feltner realized he just couldn't quite do that in this man's state at the time. So he wanted him to go home and calm down. The problem was, not only was Thad Coulter desperate, and drunk, he had a gun on him. And he killed his best friend, ben, ben Feltner. And then Thad went on the lamb. He went on the run, running through the woods. He turned himself in in a neighboring town of Hargraves. And he's in the Hargraves jail where we pick up this story. I'm going to attempt to read it with a little bit of a southern accent, but please excuse me, I am from Iowa. But, uh, but I will do my best. We... Uh, the first church that I ever interviewed at was in uh, Tennessee, and while we, uh, when we were driving down there to Tennessee, we <laughs> were driving there, and you know, we, we were living in Minnesota at the time as I finished up college, so we're leaving Minnesota, going down to Tennessee to look at this church to be a potential youth minister at, and I look out in the fields, and I think, wow, look at all that snow out there, and then we learned later it was just cotton, <laughs> so they bamboozled me. <laughs> So here we go. Let's just pick it up here in, in, in the jail. The sheriff opened the, door, opened the cell door and stood aside to let her in. I'll come back after a while, he said. The door closed and was locked behind her, and she stood and still until Thad felt her presence and looked up. When he recognized his daughter, he covered his face with both hands. He put his face over his his hands over his face like a man ashamed, my grandmother said. But he was like a man, too, who had seen what he couldn't bear. She sat without speaking a moment, looking at me, for she had much to ask of me. Maybe Thad saw his guilt full and clear then. But what he saw that he couldn't bear was something else. Again, she paused, looking at me. We sat facing each other on either side of the window, my grandfather lay in one of his lengthening sleeps nearby. The old house in that moment seemed filled with a quiet that extended not only out into the whole broad morning, but endlessly, both ways in time. People sometimes talk of God's love as if it's a pleasant thing. 
but it is terrible in a way. Think of all that it includes. It included Thad Coulter, drunk and mean and foolish, before he killed Mr. Feltner, and it included him afterwards. She reached out then and touched the back of my right hand with her fingers. My hand still bears that touch, invisible yet indelible as a tattoo. That's what Thad saw, she said. He saw his guilt. He had killed his friend. He had done what he couldn't undo. He had destroyed what he couldn't make. But in the same moment, he saw his guilt included in love that stood as near him as his daughter, Martha Elizabeth, and at that moment wore her flesh. It was surely weak and wrong of him to kill himself, to sit in judgment that way over himself. But surely God's love includes people who can't bear his love. The sheriff took Martha Elizabeth home with him that night. His wife fed her and turned back the bed for her in the spare room. The next day she sat with her father in his cell. All that day, my grandmother said, he would hardly take his hands from his face. Martha Elizabeth fed him what little he would eat and raised the cup to his lips for what little he would drink. And he ate and drank only because she asked him to. Almost not at all. I don't know what they said. Maybe nothing. At bedtime again that night, Martha Elizabeth went home with the sheriff. When they returned to the courthouse on Monday morning, Thad Coulter was dead by his own hand. It's a hard story to have to know, my grandmother said. The mercy of it was Martha Elizabeth. She still had more to tell, but she paused again and again looked at me and touched my hand. If God loves the ones we can't, then finally maybe we can. All these years I've thought of him sitting in those shadows with Martha Elizabeth, standing beside him, and his work sore old hands over his face. Thad Coulter saw a love that he couldn't bear. How can we say, oh, God loves you? <laughs> when we're talking about a man who just murdered his best friend in a drunken rage and he understood that he was loved in that state and Martha Elizabeth his own daughter was clothed in love that day she was Christ to him I told you I'd give you an example of why this message is 100% for me but I think for some of us as well um, my daughter showed me a, a little talk, talk, TikTok. Showed me a talk, ah, TikTok. I say it so wrong sometimes I don't even know what the real thing is. But she showed me a TikTok and she said, Dad, why don't you tell me what you think of, of this girl? She showed me the video. Young girl in maybe her early 20s, um, morbidly obese. And she's dancing out in her driveway. And I said, at first glance, she looks to be very unhealthy. And then something flashed up, and I began to judge her in my mind and just see her as a morbidly obese girl. 
And then something flashed up on the screen. It said, day 62 of an eating disorder recovery. And I cried in front of her because I'm so judgmental. I wasn't looking her with God's eyes. I wasn't looking at her and giving her any grace. I don't know what her struggle is. I don't know what abuse she has gone through. And there I sat, myself fat, judging her. How dare I? I don't know why we've become so angry at another human being who's probably been our friend for a while because they voted for Joe Biden or Donald Trump or because they're an illegal alien or they're Muslim or they're black or they're, I guess, Asian now. What's going on? Why are we so quick to believe the propaganda from the media and the social media outlets and then jump on a bandwagon and then hate the other star belly sneeches who don't have stars on their bellies? I think it's time for the church to wake up and to change how we are, are, are viewing people around us. The people that are around us that are in grave danger of their sin, eternal grave danger of their sin, need us to clothe ourselves in Christ and go to them and to present to them a love and a grace that they may not be able to bear, but to at least present it to them so they have the opportunity to respond to that. Mark Huddleston called me this last week and asked if I'd preach this Sunday. And I said, this Sunday? He said, yes. I said, yeah, I think I will. And the only reason, I I wasn't very flippant, I, I don't mean to say that, but uh, when, when, when I said I would, it was only because the day before, while I was at work, I was listening to a song, and we're going to uh, give a quote from that, this band later, and as I was listening to this song, I've listened to it many times, and there was a line in that song, and I knew that um, that was something I'd like to preach on. And then the next day I get a call from Mark, and I thought, you know, I feel that was the Lord kind of prompting me to preach on that one line from that song. And they're not a Christian band, but that line, the song, I believe, is a, is a prayer. And so I said yes, and I began to pray and to ask for the Spirit to guide me in this, and up until this morning, I wasn't sure where, where we'd go with it. And so I've been very sensitive to the Spirit's leading this morning. But when talking about grace and God's love, that should really be a softball sermon. You know what I mean? That should be an out-of-the-park sermon. That should be a make-y'all-feel-good-about-yourself sermon, right? I can be up here and I, I can get maybe some claps and the applause meter will, will go higher than J- when Jimmy tells a joke or something like that. Thank you. <laughs> but I realized that the grace and love I wanted to talk about isn't the grace and love I think we're mostly used to in the American church. It's this other grace, other aspect to grace and love that I wanted to talk about. Because as, as Grandma said, that some people think of love, God's love as a pleasant thing, which we know it is, but it is also terrible in a way. Think of all it includes. God's love is for the sinner. It's for the lost, for the downtrodden. God's love is for the illegal alien, for the Muslim, for the poor, for the liberals, for the foul-mouthed, drunk, stumbling out of a bar on a Saturday night, 
from the homeless person passed out on Kirkwood Avenue this morning. God's love and grace is for them. I don't mean this to be a disciplinary message because I know many in this church are reaching out with God's love to those around them and those in the community, the downtrodden. But I think we also need a reminder that this is included for us and this is for us then to take this to other people. If God loves the ones we can't, then finally maybe we can too. But here's the twist, and this is where I want to do a little shifting. Here's the twist. No matter how great or small the sin is in a person's life, the smallest sin is still enough to separate you from a holy God. And something needs to be done. Something needs to be done with that sin in your life. And this is what you need to do. You need to believe and put your faith and life into the person of Jesus Christ. Believing that he died on the cross for your sins, for those little and big sins, for all the sins. That he rose three days later and conquered even death. And then to begin to live your life in repentance, to repent, to turn away, turn your back on the things of the old and focus on what's new. To turn your back on your old way of life. And to spend time in communion with the Lord through prayer and reading his word. The, the band I was listening to last week is a, is a band named uh, Mumford and & Sons. And they are not a Christian band, so to speak. They're one of my favorite bands. And uh, they're from England, kind of a folk rock, Irish, pub, ditty type of band. And on their uh, album, Side No More, they have a song called Roll Away Your Stone. And I, I sincerely believe that song's a prayer prayer of a desperate man and the line that always catches my ear is the line that says it seems that all my bridges have been burned but you say that's exactly how this grace thing works some of you need to burn allow God to burn the bridges in your past and come to him for the very first time accepting him as your lord and savior and stepping out of condemnation Moving from death to life, from condemnation to justification, from sinner to righteous. And for the rest of us, it's time we quit singing these songs. I've talked to Sarah already, we're okay. But it's time for us to quit singing these songs and then not living what we sing outside these doors. There's some words in these songs coming up that you better not sing if you don't mean them. Because God hears your voice when you sing to Him. And He, I think, expects us to do what we say. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I do not believe you have much time left on this earth. Not individually, but the world. If you are a believer and you're like me, you look at people and ashamedly you have not looked at them through God's eyes. We need to repent. I spent this week doing more repenting than I have 
preparing. We need to look at people and tell people of God's love. Sometimes it's a terrible thing because of all that it includes. Please let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for these people here today. Lord, I've been wearing my steel-toed boots all week simply because you have been trampling on my toes. So, Father, I pray that as we uh, come to our time of communion, this time of coming to you, if there's a person in this building that's feeling a tickle in their stomach, Lord, that that's your Holy Spirit prompting them, please let them come and talk to me. Talk to someone about how to become a Christian, how to be saved. Father, for those of us here that have been living a life simply siloed in this building and singing songs in this building and leaving here and forgetting everything we've all that we've sung about, bring your church to repentance. Deepen our faith, Lord. We're tired of our ankles getting wet and not being able to dive into your grace and love. But it starts by sharing it with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you are not a believer, I'm right here. Please talk to me.